everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and I'm so pleased to have Suzanne Kassler joining me today. Inspired by architecture, art, fashion, and travel, Suzanne Kassler designs spaces and products that are luminous, distinctive, and timeless. Suzanne's designs always reference the past, but move towards the future with an edited and discerning eye on the present, mixing the high and the low, traditional and contemporary, the new and the old, creating signature interiors and products that convey a sophisticated simplicity. Her designs inspire everyone to live a more beautiful, stylish, and authentic life. Suzanne's work has been published in major design magazines, including Architectural Digest, Elle Decor, House Beautiful, Traditional Home, and Veranda. She has been named to Architectural Digest, AD100, and Elle Decor's A-List. Her award-winning interiors have been captured in three books with Rizzoli, Inspired Interiors, Timeless Style, and her most recent title, Sophisticated Simplicity. In addition to designing timeless interiors for her clients, Suzanne has produced signature lines for Ballard Designs, Hickory Chair, La Cornu, Lee Jofa, and Visual Comfort. Suzanne, we're so excited to have you here with us today. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. Are you home in Atlanta right now? I am in Atlanta. And I will say that I have been sheltering in place between my home and my office because I have um, a unique place here in Atlanta where I, we have our own building. And we, um, I have been coming to the office to do my work a lot. And uh, when I have come in, we've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings and we try to do it with maybe two or three people, social distancing. So we've been able to do that um, maybe the last two weeks. Um, certainly we were all sheltering in place um, and we've been very uh, you know, conscientious about it. But we have no one coming into the office. We have it locked off and they deliver packages outside. And it has been a very um, interesting time. But for me personally, coming from my house to my car to the office and back has um, been working for me this last two weeks and well, actually we've been in sheltering in place for four I guess it's hard to believe it's been four hasn't it it is it's all starting to I mean it is also surreal but it's crazy to think that an entire month has gone by already yes even though I do always talk about time has kind of gone in slow motion and then at the same time it's almost like it's not real time. You know, it's kind of interesting. Have you been able to go to your your studio as well? That's so true. Um, I haven't actually. So I've been sheltering in place, I think, since March 16th. So going on a month now. And uh, our team is all working remotely. So we're doing a lot of Zoom, Zoom video conferences and conference calls and lots of email and things like that, trying to stay as productive as we can. Um, yeah. But we, we set up, a, we did set up we did set up everyone remote and it took mm-hmm. us it took us that first week to get everyone really set up remote because we really were never anticipating working like that sure well yeah i mean it's been interesting in that we're we're still busy thank goodness and things are almost the same for the most part i mean in terms of our work we're still carrying on and moving forward as best we can um but it's it's kind of weird because we're not seeing each other physically. Right. And because we have a shop attached to our studio, 
we have um, one of our shop associates going in every day or every other day to ship out orders because we have an e-commerce website. So for that reason, we haven't been going into the office at all just to make sure that that person is always safe and that we're maintaining social distance. But I'm sure it's so nice to at least maintain some semblance of your regular routine, leaving your home and going into your office. Um, you know, I've been the only one that's really done that. I mean, in terms of um, in my office, I'm the only one that's really kind of um, doing that myself. Mm-hmm. And then it, what's worked out kind of great is, you know, one or two people, if they need to come in, I can work with them more individually and then they can work remote. And then when we do work remote on our calls, we've been able to, you know, cause we do use our library here, but I, I think for me, I kind of, um, it has kind of helped me have keep, keep a little bit of a schedule. Mm-hmm. And I, we have such a unique situation again with the office here. Right. But I mean, you have that too, because I've been to your great store and your darling <laughs> studio, but it is interesting how um, we are all trying to, I mean, it's how we are not going anywhere. I mean, literally, no, I mean, other than taking a walk in the neighborhood, it's, it's an amazing time. Exactly. Have you found that you're feeling any more creative than usual, having sort of a quieter change of pace? Well, what we have found is that we're getting a lot done with our clients. Um, and the first two weeks we were doing our Zoom meetings, you know, we were noticing that there's kind of a real intensity when you're on a Zoom meeting. I've noticed that even when the social Zoom meetings, you're kind of really intensely um, involved in the meeting. And I don't know if it's because it's kind of a new, you know, kind of way of working. And our clients have been really um, responsive. And we've been able to have a Zoom meeting and then Federal Express out a packet and then have another meeting and and really making some decisions. It's kind of been, I think, a surprising way that we think we will be incorporating in our future way of working as part of that. Don't you? Sure, I I do. I think that there are some really key takeaways from the way that we've all had to adapt to this current situation. And I think we're all realizing to some degree that maybe some things work best done remotely and you can do um, certain tasks a little bit more expediently this way and get to the finish line a little bit more quickly. And maybe it doesn't require, you know, a huge face-to-face meeting or whatever it may be. But aside from that, I think even in our personal lives, there's probably a lot that everyone's realizing, you know, needs to change in the future. Well, one thing is (laughs) I wasn't, I'm not focusing on cooking. It's never been my thing. And I realized, (laughs) oh my gosh, I think that's kind of been for me the hardest thing. But I do think the other thing that is hard in a way is, I do miss the energy that we all, all kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, when people come into your store or you kind of um, see your clients, I think that that has been, I think, one of the harder things right now. And, and, and I guess what's positive for all of us is that this is just this time right now and that it obviously is going to have some kind of a time where it doesn't, we can be different. But I do think it will impact all of us in the way we, live and work differently. Are you thinking that too? I think so. And I agree with you to echo what you were saying. There's something that's been really nice about being home and having more quiet time, because I'm sure you feel the same way when you're in your office, everyone has questions for you all day long, or clients are coming in, vendors are coming in for meetings, there's phone calls, there's always a distraction. And so for the first couple of weeks, I was finding this time to 
to be rather refreshing, actually, because I had a lot more quiet time and I could think about um, my projects, whether client projects or starting this podcast or thinking about anything else that's creative in my life. And I, I really was able to sit with my creativity a little bit more and tap into new ideas that are harder to come by when I'm being distracted constantly all day. And now I've sort of come full circle where I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is great, but I miss seeing yes. everyone and right. I miss conversation, right. whether serious or silly or whatever it may be. I'm kind of like sick yeah. of being and then dressing up for husband and I, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> dressing up for our friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm still making an effort Monday yeah. through Friday. I'm still getting dressed every day and doing my hair and my makeup. I know that's um, on the what weekends, I, I really I think that I, that's what I really made a point of doing. And like I said, even just driving over here, but you know, I, I, I have found that, but I do think you're right about, um, we were finding that we have had more time to be creative. And I think that that has been a real, maybe a, a great extra plus, um, even though maybe we'd like to have it be more in balance in the future. Well, sure. I think that's my my key takeaway. And I, I, I would imagine you feel the same way when we're so busy and there's so much going on. And for you, for instance, I know you have projects all over the country and are constantly traveling and working on books and products and all kinds of things. And perhaps in the future, you might carve out a little bit more time just for yourself, you know, yeah, to, yeah. to sit and, and reflect on what you're working on or, you know, dive into your library of books and just observe and and think and gather inspiration and then translate that into your creative work no it's really interesting it is interesting but sometimes a little bit of it has made me have anxiety Mm -hmm. I kind of um I kind of probably always loved the intense schedule that as a designer you know I probably depended a little bit on the deadline um adrenaline and I think that to me, it's almost more, I've had to balance not being anxious about having more time and having more um, of it. Like we have to kind of create our own, a different kind of schedule and it's working, but it is definitely a different way of working. <laughs> For sure. And on a personal note, your sweet daughter, your beautiful daughter, Alexandra, is she <clears throat> getting married this year? Was that the plan? Yes. Well, the thing was, and I think that really hit hard in that first two weeks for me and for her, we, our wedding was at our house May 2nd. Oh, and so, um, it really was so, you know, everything was so kind of, the whole thing was so shocking. And I do think all of us had a hard time thinking this was going to be a reality. I mean, when you think of the world shutting down, like yesterday at Easter, um, I think seeing the Vatican and, um, you know, the opera singer. And I mean, seeing that the, the, the whole world, it, the impact within a month, it is kind of like almost surreal. And so the first um, week, you know, everybody's thinking, well, we don't, do we really have to postpone this? I mean, isn't everything going to be fine? And when we did decide um, literally the week that she sent out her wedding invitations and the wedding was, you know, kind of a a nice size because it was going to be at our house then literally that's the week we realized that we were going to have to postpone it. And so then we did postpone it until October. And once we made that decision, but really Paloma, you can think about it every wedding, March, April, May, June, 
postponed until the fall and there were already weddings in the fall. So the biggest thing, there was literally one date in October that we could do it because where all the vendors were available because, you know, the people we'd already paid, you know, whether it's the wedding planner from San Francisco and the photographer is coming from LA, you know, cause as you know, we, you and I work all over the place. Mm-hmm. So when we hire people to work with us, we don't think anything about working with people from all over the place either. And so, and that was kind of interesting. So we found a date in October and we're kind of um, looking forward to that. But once, and then once you kind of think about that postponing and then, you know, it seems very, you know, look at all the reality of what's happening with people losing their jobs and the impact it's having on really, I think that's right now the challenge, you know, we're kind of in a unique business and a lot of our clients like yours have been continuing, but a lot of businesses are probably not as fortunate. Right. Well, that's what I've been saying when I've, I've spoken with some other friends who are in our same industry, we're fortunate. Sure. You know, it's an inconvenience. We're bored or just anxious and tired of being at home and we want to resume our normal our normal lives but we also are so incredibly fortunate that while there may be changes in our day-to-day or we may have to postpone a big life event or or pivot and do things a little bit differently for a while we're so fortunate that for the most part we're all still working our our companies, our firms are busy, we're able to keep our staffs employed, and we have the ability to, to execute our work remotely via Zoom meeting or phone call or whatever it may be for the time being. And there's so many people, the hospitality industry, for instance, has oh been hit God. so hard. And there's yeah. just millions of people who are unemployed and don't have that option. So it's not lost on me that we're incredibly fortunate to be tucked away safely at home while there are millions of people who are on the front lines, whether they're doctors. Oh my God, isn't it unbelievable? Mm -hmm. I I mean, I just, and I think really Paloma, our business, we could see um, if you were, you know, had the resources, I think people are going to focus more on their home more than ever after we get through this time. And people are going to realize that, you know, being, having a home maybe is kind of, more of a priority than they ever realized before. And probably I think it's going to change how people are working and people will work from home. You know, they always, that trend was already established. And so many people we know were doing that, Mm -hmm. but I do think we now have set up, we're all getting much more, not totally, but efficient with all the, um, the technological things that make it really work more seamlessly. I agree. I think that's going to be one of the huge cultural shifts that happens where, like you said, people are spending more time working remotely from home because now they realize, you know what, the the world doesn't come to an end if I stay home on Friday and take this meeting (laughs) remotely versus being in the boardroom with you. Um, And then everyone is spending an unprecedented amount of time in their homes. And I agree with you. I think hopefully for our industry's sake, that translates into in the future, as we recover, people spending money on their homes, hiring designers, buying product, doing all of those things because they realize how important it is to have a space that's comfortable and functional and beautiful. You don't want to be stuck in an ugly place right. that makes you upset right. every time you look at it. And we're really seeing um, the trend of, you know, really figuring out what is a home office. And it can. And it, and I was saying, because <clears throat> I was on a um, call with um my Ballard partners today. And I said, you know, not only is the home office 
a huge expansion, but people are realizing that they're working at the kitchen table and they're working at, you know, other places and the kids are doing homework. And I said, and people are wanting that their whole environment is going to just kind of work differently. And I do think um, we all have such an involvement in that. And, you know, you and I both know it's more about creating a lifestyle. So it's kind of interesting to see how that's going to really have a big impact on our business too in the future. Is there anything you've realized, Suzanne, as you've spent all of these weeks at home, anything about your home in particular that you suddenly love now more than ever because you're really getting to use it or spend time in that space? I do think the interesting thing that um, John and I have found being at home, um, and of course it's this time of year in Atlanta, the spring, we were really focusing on um, getting the house ready for the wedding. Mm-hmm. So we, we've been in our house, which is hard to believe, 11 years. So I was kind of doing a major kind of, you know, overdoing it over, you know, updating it, not everything, but you know how you kind of really, I mean, really we took everything out and painted and I've been doing the entire kind of house and we were building up to that May wedding. Of course, it stopped in February because you know how your own house always gets taken a back seat <laughs> and then nothing has gotten done. So it looks like I couldn't even get ready practically by October. But anyway, so what we noticed was <clears throat> we were doing a lot in our yard as well because we're having the wedding outside and in a kind of a combination inside and out. Um, and we don't, we haven't, that you've been to our house and stayed at our guest house. So we have this kind of nice backyard, but it, it's kind of like become more of a room. You know, we'll go out there and really are enjoying it more than we thought we ever would before. We talked about what other furniture we might put out there. And I do think that we've seen that even as a trend in our own design work, and you have too, the outdoor has become a huge, big focus for people. And really, and it doesn't even hardly matter what climate, but I do think people will are kind of really, for me, that's probably the one thing I probably noticed more, that kind of interaction between both inside and out. And it was, and also how great it is to, like you said, just have a house we enjoy because we're using all of it. Right. Well, you (laughs) have such a beautiful home, a beautiful home and your, your backyard is spectacular. It really is. It feels like an oasis and it's, I feel like you've, you've actually designed and decor I won't say decorated but you've designed your your backyard when I was last there and I think for anyone who has your books and who has seen it published it does feel like an extension of the interior there's beautiful seating a few different beautiful seating areas and your beautiful pool it's just such a such a pretty spot so I'm sure the wedding when it happens will be absolutely stunning well yes it will be I think I, I said to Alexandra Maybe by um, having it, you know, now in October, because, you know, when you're, um, well, not that I had known before, but when you're planning a wedding, there's so much you have to do right before, you know, there's just like focus, focus, focus. And I said, you know, I think when the wedding comes, by then we're going to be kind of relaxed and enjoying it because we've done all the things like getting the invitations out, making the guest list, you know, you have, you have this kind of intense momentum and we um, kind of have done a lot of that and, so now when the wedding comes and you're right with the house, it's kind of, it's actually been, I think that will be really fun, but it is interesting how I feel very appreciative to have a place that we really love. And I think you were, you've shared that a lot with your, some of your thoughts when I've been reading all your, all the things you post. Oh, well, yes, it's important to, to keep that in perspective. 
Could you tell us a little bit about your home since we're talking about it? I know it's a, a house that was a little bit older and when you found it, you did a lot of updates to it. You really transformed it into more of a Regency style house, which is what you were really looking for and what you wanted in your heart of hearts. So tell us maybe a little bit about how you found it, the process of renovating it and how it's become what it is in its current iteration. Well, when I was, um, I, it was, it was interesting because Alexandra was actually in high school and we, and I kind of felt like it was time um, to make a move. And we had been in our house we were in in Atlanta um, and it was close to the school she was going to. And Alexandra and John were not as on board at the time, but it literally took me, I kept looking and I wanted a house in the neighborhood we're in. It's called Haynes Manor. And it's kind of a really, it's probably um, a real neighborhood. And the houses are always older and there's a whole fabric that has ma- been maintained because most of the houses have been renovated even if there's some new buildings done, they've always been pretty much in keeping with the fabric of the street. And you see that happens, and that's a hard thing to have happen. But because of the talented architects we have in Atlanta, that sensitivity really, for some reason in that neighborhood, really has stayed. And so um, I narrowed down to this one neighborhood, but it's a very popular neighborhood. And I then narrowed it down to, I just wanted to live on this one street. Because I had time, it wasn't like, you know, and I think that all of us in design, we all have, we, we dream of things and we kind of can plan things. So I spent three years kind of looking and planning. And about the year before we got this house, we had put a bid on another house. It had actually been sitting for a while. And the minute we put a bid in, which happens often with houses, there must be an energy about it. People then all make a bid. And I don't know if the realtors say, hey, guess what? So-and-so is making a bid. And then people kind of all get interested. So we lost that particular house. And so this other house had been sitting even longer and it was a federal style house. And what had happened is someone had bought the house that had wanted to make it modern, Hmm. but they had gutted the inside already and made it very modern. But so then you had this kind of federal outside and a modern inside, but they had left like, the Victorian kind of federal doors. So I really didn't like the house that much. And then finally I said, you know what? I like, we like the property, Um, John and Alexandra. It's funny. They didn't like the other house I wanted to do, but they really liked this one. So we ended up making, getting into a bidding war. I will tell you this happens so often. The way we got it, we had to buy it as is and send the bid in at like midnight And it's kind of interesting how that happens in popular neighborhoods. And we got the house. And then what happened is we actually gutted it down to the studs. And I hired um, William Baker. And he helped me actually add on to the house and create a completely new. um, We made a new completely new front because we added on an entire room to the left to make Mm -hmm. it. It's a federal house was the doors off center. And it, what was interesting is I guess most people might've torn it down, but what I love about the house, it kept the fabric of the neighborhood. The roof pitch is the same. The height is the same. The ceilings are like nine foot four inside. And it really then ended up being kind of the feel of an older house 
but we ended up having to put all new electrical and really make everything almost new in the end. So um, that was kind of what happened in actually as the house evolved. And how long did that process take? Well, we luckily had sold our other house and rented a house. And that process took two years. Yeah. It took, let's say, 18 months. We were, Let's say that we, you know, it's always um, because we had an existing, you know, foundation. But it, I, I would say the 18 months kind of eked into almost 20. Sure. And, so, you know, that's what does happen with, as we know, <laughs> with our clients, they don't ever want to hear it. <laughs> it's they don't true. They want to hear how long it's going to take. And the contractors never want to get finished. Every installation we have, the contractors are there forever. <laughs> well, it always feels that way. That's for sure. Well, the house is beautiful, Suzanne. Do you have a favorite room in your home? Well, I would say that um, the room that I hang out the most in is my bedroom. It is funny how I have always loved my bedroom. And one thing that I've done in my bedroom and I, it doesn't really show up in the pictures, a lot of that rooms, the pictures I've taken of the room. But this time when I, because I've been redoing the house, you know, for this next, I guess, 10 years, I'm going to take pictures of, I have this big wall of bookcases in the room and I have, and they're behind glass doors, kind of inspired from that Vogue Living book, those cabinets with the old fashioned cabinets mm -hmm. with glass doors. And I have all my favorite collections in there I think as a designer you know we love to collect the most random things you know we'll go to a museum when I went to the Dior exhibit you know I'll buy a little sculpture piece I'll buy a book we'll buy a paper piece we'll buy you know a vase and what happened is I have arranged all these things in that room behind the glass doors they look much more organized and not so cluttered so probably I love all my favorite books are in there. You know, a lot of times designers' favorite books are actually catalog sales. You know, the favorite right. sale of, you know, Bunny Mellon's catalog or, you know, um, Jack, Jack Lennon Analysis' catalog. We, we, you know, so it's funny how designers love to collect things <clears throat> that maybe they're not like things we buy for our clients, but they are so much part of what we love to be around and surrounded by. So the bedroom really, I have to say, um, my bedroom is my favorite room. Well, it's so pretty. I do love your bedroom and I love um, your living room too. I think it's so striking and you have that gorgeous fireplace that you designed in there. Yes. Well, it's funny. Um, I guess when you, when I started, um, what happened as um, my house has evolved and one of the things that has been great as I have been collecting over the years, I've kind of edited all the things in my house that are my favorite you know, whether it's artwork or furniture pieces. And so I was thinking about it because we're getting ready to um, have, like I said, we're kind of doing a whole new kind of leaving, obviously, the classic bones. But it was funny how all the painting, everything needed to be re repainted and everything. And and how just changing things up, but using my same, um, a lot of my same things with adding some of the new things in. And I think that um, shows our clients, too, how in a way we can, make a house more fresh and young and updated, but still keeping personal things that have a lot of meaning. 
I think that's a really nice way to approach it. And a lot of the listeners here are designers or work in the design industry. So I think it's an interesting point to talk about because oftentimes you you see there are designers who sort of fall into two different categories. There are the ones who constantly change things up in their house and really use it as sort of an experiment lab. And obviously that makes a lot of sense because you want to try things out in your own home before you try them with a client sometimes. Or I think some designers may just have ADD or <laughs> choose to get, they get bored and want to try something new. I get it. I've fallen yes, into that, yes. that um, yes. side of things too. But I think I'm a little bit more like you in the sense that once I get my home to a certain place and I've filled it with things that I love, I want to live with those things for a while. Right. And so I'm not right. necessarily itching to redo things all the time, but I like what you said about the interior evolving over time and you're keeping a lot of the same things you're, you're freshening it up and it's this new sort of version of how your home is going to look for the next 10 years or so but you've kept the things that are really special to you that have meaning that you love and then you're layering in new finds whether it's art or antiques or whatever that you found on your travels or something that you were inspired by and had commissioned layering those things in I think is super important. And it speaks to the fact that in some ways, an interior really is kind of like a living organism. It's something that evolves and grows over time. And one thing that we found, and this has happened to us a couple of times, um, we do have a a great clientele that's young. And I think, um, you know, my office, we've um, had a lot of young clients doing their, what I call their grown up house. And what's happened is a lot of times after we've worked with them, it's really their, their moms have come to us, hired us because they want their beautiful things, but they want it fresh, young, and edited. And I think as designers today, that's kind of a great way we can really um, have, I mean, we found it to be kind of a fun part of our business because it's very personal, but we really know how to do that, all of us. And at the same time, we can be kind of in appreciating keeping it's funny I almost have to argue with them about keeping more things than they even want to keep and and yet that is a great way to have a house like you said keep evolving because we do tell our clients after 10 years and that is true that um, houses really end up needing to be updated interesting but if you know if the bones are good if the foundation's there and you're doing something that isn't super trend driven you can do exactly what you're doing in your home and really keep everything but just maybe rearrange and bring yeah, in a few things. new things i'm moving art to different rooms and it's amazing how you see it differently it's it's really been a very it's even interesting to me i love that you know how we move we move our favorite pieces around and then they have a whole new kind of you know kind of inspiration yes have you always known you were destined to be a designer suzanne <clears throat> no i really <laughs> will tell you <laughs> I always do laugh and I was telling the story because whenever I hear designers talk, I mean, so many of the designers said they knew they wanted to be designers when they were six years old They went shopping with their mom. But I, I, I grew up in the military and um, basically what happened for me, we moved every two years of my life. And it's hard to even imagine that at this time. And I was looking back on it and um, this last book, Sophisticated Simplicity, I actually shared in my introduction my more personal story about my mom and dad and growing up in the military. I really hadn't had, you know, like 
I think what has happened with design today and, and as we all have gotten more involved in um, sharing more of what we do with people, there's more story, storytelling that people are interested in. And so I'd really never talked about really my background. So what happened for me was we um, moved every two years. And when I was in high school, my dad, he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And he was actually famous mm-hmm. in his own way. And he um, was went to Vietnam. And he was a prisoner of war with John McCain for seven years. And he was shot down, you know, in Vietnam and the Vietnam War. And so we had gone back to Indianapolis is really where my family's from. And we had gone back there while my dad went to Vietnam, we were thinking for one year. And it ended up obviously being a very different um, kind of time. So what happened then, two things kind of, you know, when I look back on why, how I even got into design, one thing is when I was in, in high school, actually my boyfriend at the time, he always wanted to be an architect. I mean, he'd wanted to be the architect since he was like probably the six or seven year old. And he really had an influence on me. So I had gone to um, the Butler University for a year. And after I spent there a year, I decided I would go into interior design and the University of Cincinnati, which actually is only two hours away from Indianapolis, which is kind of, it seems like it's not that close because they're such different cities mm-hmm. that I decided to drive there and apply for interior design school. And I kind of made the decision I'm sure influenced because the boy, my boyfriend at the time, and it's amazing how people can really have a kind of a, a, a major influence on your life. And when I went to design school, I couldn't get in because I didn't ever have a portfolio and I didn't draw. And Cincinnati's design school was interior architecture at the time. So I took night classes and then transferred in. And as soon as I was in that school, I realized I had really found my place. And it was interesting because I started out in the class not being able to draw anything. And most people that go to design school are artists or creatives already, or they know they're creatives. And by the time we graduated, you know, my projects and my drawing ability was certainly as much or more than some of the people that were naturally talented. And it was an interesting kind of way that I, I was able to really find probably my passion in, in college and really from there um, being in, in, in Cincinnati at the time, they had a co-op program. You worked a quarter, went to school a quarter and we went, um, they had an amazing program and, it was just interior architecture and interior design differently than really, um, you know, in the Midwest, that was kind of unique. Right. And now so many people, I think, think of you as a Southerner because you've lived in Atlanta for so many years, but obviously you were originally from the, from the Midwest. Do you consider yourself a Southerner now? Well, it is so funny because um, I know I'm always described as a Southern designer and and we, so we, when I got out of school, I went back to Indianapolis, lived there for many years, and I had a commercial design firm there. And, but what started happening for me when you do commercial design and school really, um, that kind of, a lot of schools, that's kind of the focus, right. commercial design. And, but I, what happens is you always, some of your wealthiest clients end up being, um, always wanting the commercial designer to work on their residential properties. 
And at the time, the Simon um, and, you know, the shopping center people were in, in Indianapolis. That's where they're based. And um, I was hired to start working on their homes. And I started finding out that's really what I love doing. So I started doing residential design while I was in Indianapolis. I even, um, at the time, had a little store because every designer wants a store <laughs> at some point in their early time of their career. And so I then um, got married to John. He worked at Steelcase. And you can see how we met because I was using Steelcase furniture. And we had known each other a long time. And I didn't know he had been divorced for many years. And I was, I guess I didn't know him personally. And I then was divorced now from my first husband, who was an architect. And um, we started going out. And right after we got married, um, I was, there was a quote in, in the newspaper in Indianapolis, because I had my own business there. I said, I got married, I got transferred, I got pregnant, but you know, I wasn't nothing, not, I wasn't planning like of moving. You know how you kind of think of this, you know, that you're all of a sudden, um, the transferred part was just totally unbelievable. But John had an opportunity at, um, at that time. He was a vice president with Steelcase and he was handling, they were going to give him, he was handling the whole half of the country and marketing and sales. It was like an unbelievable opportunity. So we moved to Atlanta and I cried for two years. Well, that's a lot of life changes <laughs> at one time, Suzanne. <laughs> it was, I know it was, uh, but what was so funny is that um, I said, I cried literally, I really did. And we kept a house in Indianapolis um, for a long time. And I had a lot of business there and I kept a house and an office there. And I, what I did is, um, but moving to the South, I think what was happening and I never realized it until later we do laugh about it because I said we moved to the South for John, but it was the best thing ever for me. And what happened, you know, at the time, Veranda and Southern Accents and ADAC were very big in the design world. And if you've ever been to the Midwest, they are not so design focused. I will just mention that. Even to this day, it's just not a design focused, um, part, you know, part of the it's just not as design focused as the South. I don't know that anything, you know, the Southern mm -hmm. design has always kind of resonated in terms of hospitality and homes. Right. So, and so that was kind of an opportunity that was unique. So when I moved, I decided I, and it was also during the, um, this time, that 1990s time where the commercial design business went into a huge recession so I ended up, um, it was like the late night. I decided I didn't want to do commercial design anymore. Having a new baby, um, I would just do um, high-end residential. So that was kind of like the perfect thing to do coming to a city like Atlanta, where there are really amazing, fabulous residential architects as well. Absolutely. So many beautiful houses, historic houses. I love that Atlanta really does care about its past and you're not as quick to raise an old house in favor of building a new one and there are so many incredible architects and designers in Atlanta there's no shortage of beautiful homes and people in the south really do love for their homes to be beautiful and gracious and to open up those homes um, for entertaining so it seems like the perfect mix it is absolutely the perfect mix for somebody <laughs> wanting to work in residential design yeah. so 
That's so great. Now, if we fast forward a little bit, um, you've obviously had your firm for many years now and have a wonderful team. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's like in the day-to-day? Maybe could you tell us about your design process and um, how you like to manage your team and maybe where you start your projects? Is it with floor plans or fabrics? What is what is the jumping off point for you typically? Um, so what happened was I... Um, and I've shared this story a little bit um, as when, when Alexandra was little, I um, did keep an office in Indianapolis because we um, uh, have two, two kids there, two stepchildren there. And we wanted to, we always kept it. We always kept a really close relationship with them. And so I did not start adding people to my office until Alexandra was really about 13. And I talked about this because I, I had a, a whole kind of, presentation once I said um, things un- things don't always unfold as you want but they do unfold at the right time and I kind of share this with a lot of young designers who are trying to balance their lives because what happened is I had had that bigger business before I had, had Alexandra with commercial design people working for me so when I started my office again I only had one person in Atlanta and one person in Indiana and I really kept it that way and that way I had a lot of freedom with my schedule and when she was about 13 I then hired um, Keith Arnold and Karen Orr and Julie um, Bowen all of who joined me and now it's been 15 years ago I guess and I hired a lot of people at one time and we also at the time there's a building that was being built near ADAC and we bought these condominium office building. And I really decided to focus on, you know, then I was ready to have the design office be, as you know, it can be a very consuming part of your life. So it was kind of a great way to balance because I think it's hard to balance your family life, your personal life and a career when you're um, trying to do it all. So now I have, Right now I have 10, I guess I have 11 to 12, maybe it's 12 people in my office. And um, what I have is Keith Arnold is the vice president of my office. And we have like a CPA, Julie. And then I have um, three project designers. And in addition to that, I have um, Kate Lloyd, who's vice president of my product um, division. Mm And I have two people that work with me in product. And we have the upstairs part of my office building where we have our product area. And then the down, the middle floor, we have our design studio. So I try to keep the office only at 10, you know, 11, 10, 11. I guess that's about this number of people. And then I have a marketing um, director for the office. And we have um, found that's kind of a great, combination but when we first work on a project to me it's all about the architecture and so whatever I'm working on I always look at the the architecture and the floor plan first and I always talk to the client about how the house is going to live whether we're building new or renovating and that's kind of the way we start and then we set up our teams usually one designer works with me I've kept my office small enough that I stay involved in all projects. And I really decided I didn't want to be bigger. Mm -hmm. 
I just like having um, all the dimensions and it's kind of worked really, really well for what I want to be now. Definitely. Well, you've always run, I think, a really tight operation. And I remember years and years ago, you speaking to the fact that it's really important to hire someone such as a CPA who can do the things that you cannot do in your office so that then you can focus on the things that only you can do, you know, that best use of talents. Yes. Cause I tell people and when they're starting their new business, I really will tell you the first person that you really need to hire is the, you know, and it really, it didn't work always with just the bookkeeper. I will tell you because our business is very complicated we also, a lot of money changes hands, even though um, our clients sometimes think we get to keep all that money that we have to pay for things. <laughs> but, um, and so I really um, have found and really recommend the CPA part of that um, dimension in your business is probably will give you the freedom to really give you a foundation that actually is, you know, later on, you can be more creative because it gives you that because that is not always the um, designers, you know, we know how to maybe drive business, know how to get business. We know how to design business, but it's, it's, you have to have the foundation of a successful uh, financial business in order to really enjoy that creative time. Absolutely. Well, and you have such a multifaceted business. In addition to being a talented interior designer, you're also an author. You've written three books and a prolific product designer. You were one of the very first interior designers to dip their toe into licensing. Now that's become such a crowded field, but you really were one of the original people. And you have a furniture collection with Hickory Chair, Lighting with Visual Comfort, Fabrics with Lee Jofa, and then of course your line with Ballard Designs, which is multi-category. What prompted you in the beginning to have such vision that you thought this is something I need to be doing for my business? Um, it was kind of interesting. I probably didn't, um, I wasn't consciously thinking, but I always was so inspired by Barbara Berry. And so what happened was I was always finding unusual pieces, whether they were vintage or antique, even in, when I was younger in my business. And whatever I would find, people would always want. But then I wouldn't want to sell them the piece that I found. Right, you're because you're attached to it at I that point. It for yeah, me. you don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> and it, you know, now we're, we're getting less attached. But And even now, it's funny how I get really attached to things. Um, and so I started thinking that I really should just, um, I needed to make some of these things. And it was happening a, a lot. And then as a designer, I would then try to find that same piece again. And remember 10 years ago, um, we were not working everything on the internet now where we can find resources all over the world. So I would be exploring and kind of looking and, and I really was having a hard time finding it. So I remember it was even funny. I did my own little furniture collection and I sent a random note to Baker at the time, Baker, because they had Barbara Berry. And of course they never responded to me. And um, that was so many years ago. And I then said, well, I need to find out who helped Barbara Berry. So one of the architects in town, Peter Block, he, he actually was working on a project with Barbara Berry. So I said, can you ask Barbara Berry, how did she, you know, start her collections? And did she have an agent? Because 
remember we're in Atlanta in the South. I will say that being in New York or LA is a different place for designers because they are then somehow connected to that world that a lot of us that are not in New York or LA really have to kind of make ourselves known to be in that. It's true. Yes. And, you know, um, getting published is one of those places because, you know, we don't run into the, we Now we do run into the people all the time because there was before now such a connection of events that brought us all together. But, you know, 10 years ago, that was kind of just the beginning. So um, I then, Peter then asked Barbara and she did mention she had worked with this Keith Granite and he is my agent. And so I remember calling Keith, not knowing him. And he said he would meet me in New York. We met in the lobby of the Four Seasons and he kind of had this one way of working or forget it. And he was kind of like, well, why would I want to work with someone in Atlanta? And at the time I not, I did not have any collections. I did not have any lines, but one thing that was happening for me, I had been getting published a lot and that's how designers, why we love the magazine world. It does really make such a difference for all of us in our career. And I had been published in Southern accents and veranda but then I was then moving into getting published in House Beautiful and Traditional Home, some of the more national magazines. And so he sent a contract to me and kind of agreed. He said he only, you know, at the time worked with people from New York or L.A. And I kind of had to, you know, talk him into hiring, taking me on as a client. And when he did, he then, because he does a lot of strategic planning, he came to my office in Atlanta with my entire team and we did a two or three day strategic plan of kind of what we wanted to be. And I made a list for him of where I wanted to be. And we literally listed Hickory chair, Lee Jofa, visual comfort. um, And we just kind of went down the line. And after we did that big strategic plan, we put together all my ideas, which I had had a lot of. And I then called, we called Hickory chair and I really, will tell you that at the time I would not have been comfortable doing it on my own. I do think today it's interesting how, as you mentioned, there's so much, I think the manufacturers in some ways have understood now the, um, how a designer can keep them relevant, how designers have so many unique ideas and how we're working in the, you know, really in the field all the time. So we're kind of seeing all the time what, is needed or where the trends are going, even if it's not conscious. So they're appreciating designers and their talent, and they're much more receptive now to bringing designers in, even though, as you mentioned, in some ways it's a challenge because there's a lot of people doing right. it. Well, I recall when you first started, like you said, it was Barbara Berry, and then after Barbara, it was Thomas O'Brien and you and Alexa Hampton. I remember the four of you really being sort of the first, the first designers yeah. to do that. Yeah, and I that. remember the, and the story that I always love is when I was driving to High Hickory, and because um, from here I you can drive, it's like five hours, and I was driving, and I um, Thomas O'Brien called me, and I, you know, of course, was in awe mm-hmm. of him, and he really was unbelievable because he said, I really am excited you're coming. And I think that you will be the feminine to my masculine um, side of the culture with Hickory. And he was really one of the most supportive and encouraging 
reasons why I think that they brought me into Hickory. And I always kind of appreciated him, him doing that because he called me without me even really knowing him. That's so wonderful. That says so much about his character. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, what might people be surprised to learn about you? Well, I, um, for years did miniature rooms. I have these miniature room collections and it's so funny because um, I thought I, I hadn't, um, I would go to all these miniature shows and buy the most exquisite, beautiful miniature furniture. And I decided when I did the rooms years ago, I put them in plexiglass boxes and I would design just the room. I didn't want a doll house because then I have them, I can put them on my shelves, my bookshelves. So what happened was I, did this for years, my miniature collections. And I have beautiful, and I love miniatures. And I love to go to the Thorn Rooms um, at the museum in Chicago. But I, I'm just so attracted. But I would literally go to the, they have like shows with, of miniature furniture. And people are making the most exquisite furniture you can't believe. And finally, when I really did my first house when we moved to Atlanta, I stopped going and collecting because the, some of the miniature furniture was this about the price of me buying furniture for my own oh, house. Wow. <laughs> and it's interesting. It is funny because I, I, um, I was re and redoing my, you know, cause I'm refocusing on my house at the moment. And it was um, one of the designers came over and they were so surprised to see some of my miniature rooms. Cause they really are great looking. And it's so funny, isn't it? I would do like, you know, a hunting room. I did a really fancy um, music fancy music room and what I would do is I would paint the back wall and the floor I would get I would get architectural molding and we would I'd have somebody that was like a faux painter paint it all to be actually you know this beautiful front and floor background and then buy the most beautiful pieces for whatever theme room I kind of had could design up so I think that's kind of a surprise are they in any of your books have you shown them before well, no, I have not. And I was thinking, because as I photograph, um, I even, I have one really fabulous miniature Christmas oh, room, because, you know, yeah. Christmas has always been my thing. And I kind of had gotten it out, but then for years, I would not get it out all the time. The other, I have three rooms that are in the shelves in my bedroom, one in my bedroom and in the, well, the room offside, outside my bedroom. And then I found a box when I was kind of cleaning out the attic, because, you know, we've had a lot more time to go through things of a room I'd started years ago. So it's kind of interesting. I think people wouldn't know no. that I was, was, had, had collected That's miniatures. That's so neat. Well, you'll have to, at the very least, do an Instagram post and show us because that sounds so beautiful <laughs> and, and different. I don't know anybody who does miniatures. Isn't so that neat. funny? I did, when you said that, because I, I couldn't think of anything <laughs> that would surprise people about me. Because as you know, today, Paloma, we share yes. a lot about yes. our life. That is we? so true. Well, Suzanne, I will, um, as we wrap this up, I would love to ask you one of my favorite questions. If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? You know, I, I, um, I think that the, um, I guess the big thing that I kind of shared before is that my example was I always wanted our house to be in El Decor and I decided to not have it be in other magazines, like other magazines wanted to publish it. And I kept saying no, because I really wanted just to be in El Decor. This is years and years ago. This is like, you know, over 
um, this is in our other house. So this is probably in the beginning when I came here to like, you know, 15 years ago, or, you know, I've been working. And what happened was the magazines kind of got, get mad at you if you kind of, um, they were kind of mad at me, especially um, because, you know, a lot of them are very supportive of Mm -hmm. all of us. But I had, I just, I just said, I want, I knew what I wanted. And I, I share the story because by doing that, it really, I really believed it was the right thing for Eldecor. And when I did get our house in Eldecor, it took me at least three years of talking to Margaret Russell about it. It really did change the whole, my whole career. And, but if I had not done that and had kind of a plan or a vision, um, because it's so easy to sometimes do the thing that might be the easiest. And so what I think I would share, and I'm sharing this story because it was really hard for me. And I talk about the unfolding doesn't always happen when you want it. And um, I've shared that and a number of women have come up to me because I'll say, you know, you, maybe you can't work all the time. If you have a young family, maybe if you're traveling or you move to a new city, there's so many different things that happen in people's lives that you, if you still keep your vision, and I guess for me, the lesson I learned from that, because it was really hard and there's a lot of pressure. And especially today, there's so much reacting quickly and feeling like you're left out if you don't um, kind of jump into everything that's happening. So in some ways, I guess for my um, younger self, um, I had to really just kind of, kind of stay true to that, you know, it was, and I think that was hard. So I don't know if that's advice I would give. If what, what was the advice that I would give if I were younger again, I kind of think that that took me a while to, to understand that advice, you know, like by the time I got ready to have the house in El Decor, I had had other things published and I knew, you know, like I said, maybe sometimes you want to have things happen and to our younger selves, Maybe it's not going to happen always when you think it's right. going to. So trust the process. And then don't give up on your dreams because it does seem to me, if, and that's probably what I would say to my, to any, as you know, a younger self, you can, you can have a plan. Don't give up on it. Even if you run into many obstacles, because then, and I think that's a hard thing. Right. And I think today it might be harder because we, you know, we did not have all the, sharing and social media and as positive as it is sometimes it's it makes you feel are you doing everything you can that's so true that's so true it's important to to focus and sort of stay stay in your lane maybe look ahead and not look side to side at what other people are doing (laughs) but my daughter alexandra said mom stay in your lane and i said well alexandra people are bumping into me behind (laughs) people are running into me on the side and people are stopping in front of me I said, it's really hard to stay in. That's true. That, the highway's crazy right? out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really is. But one thing that I've been um, always impressed with what you've done, Paloma, is you um, have, because I've seen you evolve with your career and you've been very um, able to kind of maybe evolve and change. I even was impressed that you decided to do these podcasts now because you've always been kind of a connector because mm-hmm. remember my whole thing was our world changed with all of the bloggers coming in and having us really right. share. So I think that's kind of been interesting that you've been able to um, 
really take it and make things be a positive as we work into times that are different. Thank you. That means a lot to me, Suzanne. I mean, you've known me since the very, very beginning of my design career. And when we first met, I remember the very first time I met you was my first trip to High Point. I was on a trip with some other bloggers and we were there with the company that owned Hickory Chair at the time and met you and Thomas and Alexa. And um, I just remember how kind you've been to me ever since then and connecting with you and with your aesthetic, your point of view from the very beginning. And it's just so interesting, I think, to, you know, have been able to grow in this way and to have you as I consider you a mentor and a dear friend. I'm very grateful to you for all the support you've shown me over the years. And um, yes, I mean, I think it's important to pivot and to continually challenge oneself to do new things and to adapt. And this podcast, I mean, for me, selfishly was really just a way to connect with people. I was finding I was really lonely in this new sort of reality we're living in. And I missed connecting with people and being able to see them and talk about things other than the news to talk about the things that I'm most passionate about and that make us all so happy. And it was just something that I felt was right for the time because we all could use a little bit of an escape at the moment. And if anything, all of the guests, including yourself have shared such wonderful insight and advice for those who are just starting in their careers or who perhaps are a little bit nervous or frightened about what's to come with the future and how to adapt for that. So thank you so much for lending your time and your wisdom and insight today. Yeah. And I might just close with one last thing, if that's okay, even though I know we've kind of run over our time and what's been interesting during this time of quietness and really everything stopping in the world I have reflected a lot about my father. He was a prisoner of war for seven years. And one of the things that he did when he was in um, as a prisoner of war, in his mind, he designed this golf course. And it was interesting when he came home from um, after being gone seven horrible years being, it was really a horrible situation. He then eventually after a few years, he came back into the Air Force and he bought a golf course. And then he and my mom were on this country golf course outside of Chicago for like 40 years. And he literally designed in his mind every hole on the golf course. And he then translated that over the number of years. And I thought what was so interesting is that it kind of says he designed the course in his mind. And then, you know, really, if you stay the course, that's what I kind of like to share and inspire with people. You know, you kind of can think about things unfolding in, in a time. And, and that has come back to um, kind of inspire me more now than ever before. And I think it's really a, a positive message because um, he came back and was inspired. And he always said, keep your spirit. That's amazing. That's a really wise lesson to remember, especially at a time like right now. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. But anyway, so it's so great that you included me because you've got some wonderful friends and um, inspirations on your podcast as always. Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's been a delight chatting with you. I hope you'll be well and I hope to see you soon. Okay. Sending. That was interior designer, product designer, and author Suzanne Kassler. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Style Files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and will make a huge difference for us as we grow The Style Files. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.